Welcome back everybody to the Luke Beasley Show. I hope you're doing wonderful. On this Friday, we have made it through another week of American politics. Let's dive in. President Joe Biden spoke in Virginia, and I have a few moments to show you from this. It definitely felt like a kind of preparing for his re-election bid announcement type speech, getting out there, starting to make that happen, make those types of events happen. And so that's how it came off to me. And again, a number of key moments for you. The first is uh, him touting the economic hopeful indicators we've seen as of recently. Of course, inflation cooling off. It's still too high, but it's going in the right direction over the series of a few months. 2.9% GDP growth in the last quarter of 2022 is a bit of news we just recently got and strong jobs numbers. So when we talk about those figures, as I try to say often, doesn't mean there isn't still real economic pain. Absolutely, there is tons of problems to be addressed. But if you're the president, as Joe Biden is, you're going to want to take credit for things moving in the right direction. And we've also talked about how presidents don't have the authority over the economy that many people make them out to. But here's this clip. It came out today, this morning, and I'm not sure, and I mean it sincerely, the news could have been any better. Economic growth is up stronger than expert expected at 2.9% we're going. Jobs, jobs are the highest in American number and the highest in American history. And wages are up. And they're growing faster than inflation. Over the past six months, inflation has gone down every month, and God willing, we'll continue to do that. Manufacturing jobs continue to grow up stronger than any time in the last 40 years. And I don't think it's unfair to say that this is all evidence that the Biden economic plan, because you all is actually working, it's working. And we could have a much longer discussion about what things do we believe Biden did that contributed to certain things, positive and negative. But what we know this breaks down is the argument we've heard from conservatives that if Joe Biden gets in the White House, everything's going to fall apart and all these problems that were clearly the aftermath of the pandemic and our response to it, not Biden being president or the Democratic Party, but they blamed all of those COVID aftermath things on the Democrats. And um, this absolutely shows that that was not accurate analysis. Just to quickly update you while we're on this subject, on this recent news here from PBS, U.S. economy expanded 2.9% last quarter in the face uh, in face of interest rates and recession fears. The U.S. economy expanded at a 2.9% annual pace from October through December, ending 2022 with momentum despite the pressure of high interest rates and widespread fears of looming recession. So that's absolutely uh, good news there. And then in this speech, he talked about the fact that a batch of Republicans within the House Republican Caucus are floating the idea and introducing legislation to introduce a 30% flat sales tax rate to replace other forms of taxes um, across the board. Take a look. And now these MAGA Republicans have to introduce another bill. It's going to eliminate the IRS, going to eliminate it completely. The only guys can go in and look at the complicated tax returns that people have and replace the IRS That'd be nice. No, no, no taxes, right? Except with a 30% national sales tax and everything from if you buy a home to a car to eggs. Who do you think pays for that? Who do you think is going to get ripped off 
That's right. They want to raise taxes on working to middle class people in America by passing the national sales tax, taxing every item from groceries, gasoline, clothing, supplies, medicine, even big ticket items like rent and cars. 30% sales tax on all of those issues, all those pieces. Yep, definitely a bad idea, I'll say, here from Newsweek. The Fair Tax Act introduced by Representative Earl Buddy Carter would abolish income, payroll, estate, and gift taxes and propose a 23% national sales tax, but the effective rate would be 30%, according to the Nonpartisan Institute of Taxation and Economic Policy Think Tank. So that would be hurting the working class um, in a severe, severe way, which is wild that they're just openly pushing for stuff like that in the House Republican caucus. And then finally just spliced together a few moments of him addressing the debt ceiling and the Republicans' involvement in that process. Threatening to have us default on the American debt, a debt that's been accumulated over 230 years, okay? And the interest on that debt, we've never, ever done that. What in God's name would the Americans give up the progress we've made for the chaos they're suggesting? I don't get it. That's why the MAGA Republicans deliberately choose to inflict this kind of pain on the American people. I will not let it happen. Not on my watch. You know, I think we expected the Republican Party's new majority in the House of Representatives to be disastrous, but... I don't think I expected this quickly for that to be so clearly, clearly revealed. Of course, the Kevin McCarthy speakership debacle, making that very obvious, and then the debt ceiling negotiation. And so these elections matter, and now we're seeing um, what the outcome of this last election was, at least in the House of Representatives, and the meaningful impact of that. I definitely think those messages are things we'll be hearing a good bit going forward with Biden's upcoming re-election bid announcement that is expected, and it will be interesting to keep up with. We're gonna start off with a clip of Kerry Lake at the beginning of this story, and then discuss what all of this is likely for, what the election lies after she lost her election, and her pretending that she could still become governor before the end of Katie Hobbs' term, and all these different things. What's the purpose? Why is she doing all of this? We might have an answer, um, but first, here is yet another example of these lies. We cannot have the election stand. The judge should declare me the rightful winner. I am the rightful winner. And we should move on and reclaim our government, our state government. It's been hijacked and stolen by a bunch of people who know this election was fraudulent. The cartels are running our state. We cannot have the... So saying that the judge should make her governor, declare her the winner of the election, even though she lost the election, she has to know, right, that that's not going to happen. Why is she doing all this? Well, a fascinating piece came out of the Arizona Mirror titled Election Denial is Lucrative. Carrie Lake raised $2.5 million after Election Day. Donors wanted to help her overturn the election, but less than 10% of Lake's post-election spending went to lawyers. The day that Katie Hobbs was declared the winner of the governor's race, cash poured into Carrie Lake's campaign as people from across the country heeded her call to fight back against an election system she said was BS. 
and then we will skip forward to um, this sentence here. All told, the former television news anchor turned MAGA star raised $2,515,169 after the election. After the election. Following the election, Lake's campaign spent $3 million, and while she was telling her supporters that the money was needed to contest the election and ensure she was installed as the rightful governor of Arizona, that didn't happen. And we'll continue here in a second with the specifics, but this reminds me so much of the Trump 2020 loss and what he did right after it. Oh, I need you to donate money so that I can challenge the election results and keep myself in the White House. And then you looked at where the money was going and it wasn't being spent on election challenges. Trump was, in his case, in large part, keeping it, accumulating it, saving it up likely for another run. And so Kerry Lake doing a very, very similar thing here. Now let's talk about where this money was going. More than half of the $3 million of post-election spending went to TAG Strategies, a Virginia-based marketing and communications firm that received payments nearly every day. It's unclear what most of that $1.52 million in expenses was for, as the late campaign categorized the vast majority of those payments as administration other in its finance reports. In all, Lake paid TAG Services more than $4.8 million, nearly one in every $3 her campaign spent. And then it goes on to describe how money was also spent on Ubers and airfare and resorts, both before and after the election. But why $1.52 million was paid to TAG services after the election, especially when those payments before the election were being described as telemarketing and auto dialers, why that would be necessary after, I genuinely uh, don't understand and would need more answers to really dive into that thoroughly. But Generally, what I'm seeing develop here really is the Carrie Lake version of what Trump did in 2020. And I think she is eyeing a run for Senate and sees the way that she can motivate and get money from and energy from the MAGA base using the election denying tool. She sees that as her way to be launched into um a Senate run because she thinks she has to stay relevant and the way that she can do that in the MAGA base is to deny the election. Imagine if she just moved along, conceded her election, was respectful of our democratic process. Would she be able to raise right after that $2.5 million from MAGA? Of course not. It's because she's denying the election. It's because she's just openly um, damaging our democracy that she's able to get all that support. And so for her, if it is indeed, this is just speculation, a Senate run she's looking at next, like Trump was looking at 2024 uh, presidential run there next, then that could be the whole idea. That could be the uh, plan here, which is so vile. And we don't know how much that's playing a role, but it definitely could be. And as the article noted, all of this is turning out to be very lucrative for Carrie Lake. Let me know what you think, Luke P. Beasley on Twitter. Donald Trump Jr. released a video responding to the sense that he had. He thought that it was true that the woke mob was coming for Natural Woman by Aretha Franklin, that they were trying to cancel that song and uh, the trans community is offended by the song Natural Woman, Aretha Franklin. That's Donald Trump Jr.'s uh, 
belief on this. And so he comes out so bravely to stand up for Aretha Franklin. Well, that story is not true. And we'll dive into why it's not true in a second here. It came from a parody account, essentially. But um, again, we'll talk about that more in a second. Here's Donald Trump Jr. talking about the true issues facing America based on a fake story. Okay, but now they have to attack the song Natural Woman. But I'm told, folks, I'm told that trans women are women. Like, shouldn't, like, they can chest feed or breastfeed, they can get pregnant, they can do all of the things that a woman can do. I'm told that. That's, they've made that very clear to me. As Everything that I read and everything that they put out there, you know, a, a biological male playing in women's sports is a natural woman playing those sports, right? So now they have a problem. Think about that for a second, folks. Like, uh, someone who was a groundbreaker in music, probably one of her most known hits. Everyone knows it. Everyone knows the song. But you know what? Makes them feel a little uncomfortable, folks. So it's not about equality of existence. It's, it's whatever they deem to be inappropriate is totally inappropriate. Doesn't matter the timing of it. Doesn't matter that it was 60 years ago. Doesn't matter that it seems to go against everything they've been telling us that trans women are women. Which one is it, folks? It seems they just want to get what they want whenever they want. That they can win at all costs. It doesn't matter. If they say it to be true, it's the truth. And honestly, if you look at what they're pushing on some of the stuff, that seems to be the case. It's time to say... Okay, you get the point. So, no. The, the woke mob uh, is not coming after Natural Woman by Aretha Franklin. You'll see in a DM exchange with iHeartRadio, the account that originally posted or tweeted the tweet that caused the right wing to think that someone on the left had said this, said, this is a parody account. Never imagined anyone would take it seriously. This comes from a PolitiFact um, fact check and other tweets that this individual had put out there. Putting pineapple on pizza is transphobic and racist. And then at one point, responding to someone saying that the woke movement is indistinguishable from parody. So this account is a conservative on Twitter, I guess, saying stuff that they think is as absurd as they perceive the left to be. And so they said the thing about Aretha Franklin. They've since admitted that they are a parody account, but this caused the right wing to be angry caused Don Jr. there to be quite angry. And sometimes when I see moments like that, I don't actually want this because I like the way that I do my show and all these um, things, of course. But sometimes I have this little tiny feeling of, I wish it was that easy for individuals like myself who do shows because I have a constant, deep stress about every story that I do, unless it's a very, very basic story, but most stories, because I wanna make sure I get it right. I wanna make sure I'm responding to something real. I don't misreport on something or give you something that isn't accurate because I know as someone who has consumed a lot of political content myself, that you'll take that into your life, what I've talked about, and um, maybe you'll bring it up in conversations or just consider it yourself. and. I don't ever want to think that I accidentally told you a story that wasn't accurate. And so I stress about that a lot and put a lot of work in to make sure that the content I put out there is honest, factual, all those things. 
Don Jr., I guess, just scrolls the web and doesn't take any time to verify if what he's saying is correct or not. The advice I'd give to some people is if you think a claim sounds real absurd and just a little bit too wacky to be true, it might still be true, but just real quick, look it up and see if there's some massive fact check organizations already on it because so often these types of stories are, you know, like this, have already been responded to and aren't true whenever um, they're getting circulated in the right-wing social media echo chambers. Very embarrassing there for Don Jr. Interesting moment took place on Fox News' The Five, where Jessica Tarlov just absolutely dismantled all the other hosts' arguments about the debt and the deficit and Trump versus Biden and all these different things and left them in awe, really, and they just had to move um, off the subject. It was a really, really great job here by Jessica Tarlov. Take a look. So much in spending that you cause inflation and then look back and say this. So that's a conservative host if you're just listening and then Jessica Tarlov will jump in. It was all caused by the Trump tax cuts of 2017. That doesn't make any sense. Biden wants to run his last campaign and the media shouldn't let him do it. All right, so I'll go right to you, Jessica. I mean, didn't Joe Biden go on the biggest spending spree in American history? No, uh, Donald Trump actually spent a lot more than him. So Donald Trump is personally responsible uh, as the president for about 30% of the national debt. And I believe uh, Joe Biden's brought it down by 1.4 trillion since he's been in office. So, so the COVID money no, no, went no, out. No, no. So, yeah, the that's the, yeah. I, but just let me, let me this. You, I was yeah, so she was referring to the deficit related figures and how the deficit has come down under Biden. Of course, you can recognize it's because we stopped doing a bunch of COVID aid, but still the talking point of Biden's jacking up the deficit and thus the debt um, is not an honest one. Asked a question, I answered it. Donald Trump is responsible for more of the national debt than Joe Biden is, period, end of story. Those are what the numbers say. We also had a good jobs report today, or a good economic report. I know, Brian, you spoke about it this morning on Fox & Friends. 2.9% fourth quarter growth, 2.1% increase in consumer spending. Those are good indicators. Um, when people are talking about all the layoffs, the layoffs are in one sector, in tech. And basically, they're right-sizing the fact that they overhired in 2021, uh, 2021, sorry, and 2022. So they're going back to the mean there. They paid people way too much, gave people big fancy titles. They couldn't afford to do that. So I, I'm not for calling everybody a MAGA Republican. I know that was part of what he was talking about today, but he does have an economic record to run on. And he does have the fact that you have um, important representatives, so much so that people thought that he could be speaker, this Kevin Hearn, who said, we have to make these, uh, we have to make uh, hard decisions about what's going on with Social Security and Medicare. And he's part of a conference of 160 conservative Republicans who have said that they want to look at changing the retirement age. That's something that Nancy Mays, for instance, uh, a Republican, has said is absolute non-starter. Non McCarthy said that as well. But get your caucus in line. If you don't want Democrats talking about the fact that there are people in your conference who are important to you, by the way, saying that we should raise the retirement age, people are going to pay attention to it and they're going to vote accordingly. Didn't Kevin Hearn get one vote for speaker? Yeah. I mean, what do you yeah. sell you more Come than on. the rest of them? I mean, I thought yeah. nobody, right. no one knew. So then you saw there kind of, no, we're going to get off that. We don't really care about what you're saying. Um, we don't want to hear you break down what we've been saying, what we'll continue to say in such a dishonest way. Um, and it's true. 
Trump increased the debt seven trillion dollars and um, increased the deficit while Biden decreased the deficit. There's so many more complexities to that. For example, under Trump, a, a bit, a good bit of that was COVID relief spending, which I don't blame him for. Similar to the beginning of Biden's. Uh, presidency, he had COVID relief spending, which I don't blame him for when you look at the debt and the deficit. But with Trump, another big piece of it was the tax cuts disproportionately that went to the wealthy. And so I do blame him for that. That's not a good reason to increase our deficit. And that's where this conversation gets a little bit aggravating because it's not just about the figures. Oh, how much did it increase here, here? It's about what, yes, the figure, but then also what was being spent on? Why did we go into deficit spending for that particular reason? And that matters a lot too within these conversations. But definitely watching people talk about this issue reveals the dishonesty and consistencies so clearly within the right wing because we didn't hear a peep when Trump was increasing the deficit to pay for his tax cuts for the wealthy. But now they're so shocked and angry about um, the debt with Biden. And so very dishonest, as we've seen time and time again from those on Fox News. But great job there from Jessica Tarlov. Democratic Representative Adam Schiff has announced he will be running for Senate in California, attempting to fill the seat of Dianne Feinstein. We saw Katie Porter also is running for that seat. And uh, now Adam Schiff has jumped in the race. Take a look. This is something that we had been expecting. We already saw Congresswoman Katie Porter officially put her hat in the ring and earn the endorsement of Senator Elizabeth Warren. But now we're seeing Schiff make it official himself. I know that this is a bit awkward in terms of the way this field is coming together because Senator Dianne Feinstein, who has held this seat for many, many years, has not yet announced her reelection intentions. But I am told that in the case of Congressman Schiff, he had previously met with Feinstein to at least give her a heads up that this was something that he was planning on doing. It's a field that we expect is going to be pretty big in California, especially because these Senate seats don't come around very often. But right now, it's just a field of two, though we do expect Congressman Barbara Lee to be one of the names that eventually makes it official as well. So an element of that that was mentioned, Dianne Feinstein has not said one way or another if she's running for re-election. She is 89 and more importantly, clearly is having a very hard time um, fulfilling the, the role and being able to do the job properly. Very concerning examples of that we could dive into at a later date. So if she decides to retire, then it would be this very open field and uh, Adam Schiff versus Katie Porter versus who else? And I'm excited to see that matchup will definitely be interesting. Here's Adam Schiff talking about uh, his conversations with Diane Feinstein about this. A public announcement yet. I'm wondering if she's made a private announcement with you. Have you spoken to her before doing this? Uh, yes, I've spoken to her a number of times, including within the last 24 to 48 hours. Uh, to keep her abreast of what I'm doing every step of the way, I have a very close relationship with Senator Feinstein. Uh, great respect for her. Uh, she has served as the top Democrat on the Intelligence Committee in the Senate while I had the same role in the House. Uh, so we've worked together closely for years, uh, and I want to make sure that everything I did was respectful of, of her and her service. Uh, and so, yes, I've kept her apprised, uh, including very recently. So that statement makes it pretty clear 
that Diane Feinstein is okay with him running because um, she's not going to be seeking re-election, which I do think it's time for somebody else to fill that seat. And uh, we will see who comes out victorious. We'll see who else jumps in the race. Obviously, I really like Katie Porter, and she's just a really strong fighter for progressive issues, but it'll definitely be an interesting race to follow. You all have probably heard at this point the right-wing myth, belief, false belief that they really, really are holding on to, that children who identify as furries, and again, as I'm walking through this, it hasn't happened, this isn't going on, but let me tell you the story that's being told, and then we have an interview to get to that's hilarious. Um, so the story goes, children in elementary school or high school or wherever it might be, children of some sort are identifying as furries and then going to the restroom in litter boxes at school because the schools are saying, we support our furries and we're going to put litter boxes in the bathroom for them so that they can be cats, meow. Um, well, this blew up on the right. See, this is the woke left making our kids so weird and woke that they're now cats defecating in litter boxes. All right, so we got there. American politics is weird, capital W. Um, but News Nation brought North Dakota House of Representatives District 3 Representative Lori Van Winkle onto uh, their program and asked her about a bill she introduced to the North Dakota. I'm trying to keep a straight face. Um, this is very serious to the North Dakota House of Representatives that would make sure children are not going to the restroom in litter boxes in schools because that's an epidemic in America. And this was the interview that ensued. Try to act like animals is a real thing. Uh, State Rep Lori Van Winkle proposed the bill and joins us now from North Dakota. Uh, it's good to see you, ma'am. We appreciate it. Thank you. Do we have any confirmed sightings of furries in North Dakota schools? Uh, thanks, Leland, for having me. Um, you know, I don't specifically have a confirmed right. uh, number on that for you. But uh, the, the talk is that, you know, these, these kids want to identify as being cats or dogs. And actually, the latest one I heard. The talk, guys. It's the talk. Lately was a rock. And therefore, mm. that student doesn't talk in class because rocks don't talk so this is what our teachers are having to try to navigate when they should be able to be focused on teaching children no, I, look, I think anybody agrees that, games anybody agrees that if, if this was happening in schools it would be a problem but I, i'm wondering of all the issues in north dakota if, if this is something that's actually happened yet <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the kids in, in our high school, I believe in 2021, when we were fighting some issues of COVID, there was talk that these kids were dressing up as cats and... Okay, wait, wait, wait. Let me walk you through what just happened. He goes, are there any actual examples of this happening in North Dakota? She answers, answers, answers. Okay, I get what you're saying, but... Are there any examples that you know of for sure confirmed of this happening in North Dakota? And she goes, yes. Um, kind of like the yes to your answer, but also no type situation. Yes. You know, I, I heard in 2021 that I believe there was talk of high school students doing it. You believe that there was talk of this. 
well, we got to get right to work then. And demanding that litter boxes be um, the next thing that they would want. And, and it is happening in other states. I know it's happening in Minnesota as well. And I, 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 for, or- forgive, forgive me. And I, and I, I've seen this before. Tony Junji tweeted about it, the litter boxes and cats and everything else. Uh, we actually did a story about this last year. Um, a Nebraska lawmaker had to apologize for this very thing, debunked litter box claim. Uh, Bosselman said during state legislative debate, and now schools are wanting to put litter boxes in schools for these children to use. How is this sanitary? And he had to come back and apologize for it because it, it was an internet hoax. I can't speak on on what he did to tell you the truth there. Um, This uh, really wasn't the basis of what I was attempting to cover in the bill. It just made a provision for the fact that. What what um, were you attempting to cover? uh, Actually, my my bill is uh, the premise of the bill is to protect children uh, and male and female sexes Ah. in the school system. So this and is the about secondary bathrooms? provision. The secondary provision. <laughs> I love how confused the host is. Oh, okay. So bathrooms then? Was that uh, if somebody wanted to identify as a non-human, uh, that that also would not be an accommodation that the school would have to deal with. So yeah. covering the bases. No, I, I I I understand. It's certainly been a huge issue. I I wonder in terms of in look the. Okay, let's not say it's certainly been a huge issue, host. Mm, they want it to be a huge issue. It's not a huge issue, okay? The the bathroom issue and how kids identify has been an, an enormous issue over the past couple of years. I'm thinking about Virginia and other places. Given that we don't have any cases that I, I've yet to seen actually reported by a credible news organization of a, a child demanding a litter box in a school, uh, does it does it sort of cheapen the argument by Republicans and by uh, good-minded and well-intentioned people such as yourself who want to have real conversations about the cultural issues that we we are dealing with? No, I don't think it cheapens at all. So it doesn't cheapen the argument to not have a basis for your argument because you're responding to something that doesn't exist? Really? I feel like that that cheap is the argument for sure um so there it is i mean this is a great example of how you take something that isn't true and you treat it as true then even if you're willing to concede that it may not be true you preemptively get out ahead of and address the problem that may exist in the future based on the problem that didn't exist in the past right oh we're going to prevent preemptively kids who identify as furries from uh, going to the restroom in litter boxes in our schools. Oh, has that happened? Well, do you want it to happen? I'm just making sure it doesn't. Sheesh, get off my back. Now, that's not her answer. That's kind of, she still wants to stick with the idea that there is some talk in the town about the furries and all these things. But a lot of people will answer that. Well, and we've seen this with uh, trans kids in sports whenever states don't even have anyone that it applies to, but still go uh, nuts on this issue. We got to get ahead of it. It's going to be an issue. And what's so sad to me is while we're talking about the furry kids in the bathrooms, we're not talking about the countless issues that really exist. 
she could be actually trying to address issues that actually matter and exist within her state. Let me know what you think of all this wacky stuff, Luke B. Beasley on Twitter. Illinois has banned assault weapons in the state. Absolutely great that they did this here from ABC News. Illinois on Tuesday became the latest U.S. state to ban the sale or possession of assault weapons. Just hours after the legislation's passage in both chambers of the Illinois General Assembly, Governor J.B. Pritzker signed the Protect Illinois Communities Act into law during a ceremony at the state capitol in Springfield. Supporters, some of who were gun violence survivors, erupted with applause and cheers as the governor presented the signed document. The new law bans assault weapons, including some semi-automatic firearms, along with high-capacity magazines and rapid firing devices. 100% the right decision. This is what we should do um, nationwide. And as we talk about so much, it's not that complicated. As CNN writes here, a study published in January by a leading nonprofit organization that focuses on gun violence prevention found that there's a direct correlation in states with weaker gun laws and higher rates of gun deaths, including homicides, suicides, and accidental killings. Weaker gun laws, and what we see in the data is that absolutely that yields higher gun violence. And then part of the reason why, even though this is really good that Illinois did this, it doesn't do as much as what we should do, which is a federal ban on these things, is because you can go across states very easily. And as Science Daily writes here, guns used in states with stricter gun laws typically flow from states with weaker laws, according to a new study from Boston University School of Public Health researchers. So until we have something that encompasses all of the United States, will have this reality where even with better gun laws in certain states, Illinois or California, even when they put these better gun laws on the books, it's still very easy for individuals to go across state lines and get their hands on these types of weapons. And so I, I talk about it so often and it gets so hopeless to continue saying this, but we have to see action from our federal government, the Republican Party, uh, for the most part, is obstructing that action and is so enraging. And don't come at me with, oh, it's about mental health. Yes, it is too about mental health. And it also, yes, is about investing generally in our communities so the environment is not one that produces individuals that do um, these types of acts of violence. But also, it's gun control. And the obstruction of that is what is preventing so many lives from being saved. Thank you all so much for watching and listening to today's show. I'll see you Monday.